This is Care Less, Do More. Hey friends, welcome to Care Less, Do More, a new adventure of mine with the Out of Collective where I'm switching roles and hosting a show rather than being the one interviewed. My name is Michelle Parker. For those of you who don't know me, I've been a professional free skier for going on 20 years now, and I'm a huge fan of listening to stories, having long form conversations, and also kind of just being vulnerable and trying new things. So hence the podcast. And here we go with episode one. I got to sit down a couple weeks ago with Shannon Corsi and Jackson Hole. And Shannon is one of the founders of Nexus Films. Shannon wears a ton of hats. She's a photographer, a director, a producer. She is one of the three founders of Nexus Films. And we kind of dive into why she started Nexus, what the process was like, disrupting the status quo and making your dreams become a reality. Shannon is amazing. I got to work with her this past year on Nexus, which is on tour now. I highly recommend checking that out. She was an ace in the field. It was incredible to watch her work and to watch her rise to the occasion. I don't think Shannon had done a ton of work like Nexus and creating a full-length feature film, which y'all have got to see. It's absolutely incredible. I went to the world premiere last night and well, I didn't actually get to watch the movie because I had to jet back to Tahoe, but it got a standing ovation. And I've personally never received so many people hitting me up in my DMs saying how stoked they were on the finished product. And it kind of just warmed my heart and made me realize that what we do out there oftentimes serves a bigger purpose. So with no further ado, I'd like to welcome Shannon. And I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors because without them, we wouldn't be able to do these podcasts. The first one's Darn Tough Vermont. They are a personal favorite of mine. They're a sponsor. I've been working with them for a number of years now, and my feet are never cold and always comfortable. Straight up though, they're the most durable socks you'll own. I've been on a personal mission to tear a hole in them, and I haven't yet succeeded. Um, They're based out of Northfield, Vermont. They have an amazing group of individuals that work for them, and yeah, favorite sock. Shout out to the -the over-the-calf mid-weight ski sock. I like the Function 5. It's designed specifically for our feet when they're in ski boots, and you can't go wrong. Check them out. Additionally, I would like to thank another sponsor, which is Rumpel. One of my favorite things to do on these cold fall nights is to sit outside on my deck and just watch the stars. And I happen to have a Rumpel. That's the blanket that I use outside because they're weatherproof, durable, and cozy. And they're made with the same technical materials used in premium outdoor gear and activewear, which makes them the perfect blanket to bring with you in your car when you're camping, wherever it is, to gaze at the stars and enjoy being outside. Use code out of bounds for 15% off all eligible products. All right, dropping in. <laughs> we are here today with Shannon Corsi, who I'm really excited to have on the podcast. This is her very first podcast she's ever recorded. It's an honor to be sitting across the table from her in Jackson Hole, Wyoming. Um, Shannon Corsi is an editorial and commercial photographer known for her attention to detail and the ability to create compelling visual narratives. She's also a producer and a director, one of the creative minds behind this year's groundbreaking film called Nexus, featuring an all-women's cast with a variety of athletes with different backgrounds and approaches to the mountains. Shannon, welcome to Care Less, Do More. (laughs) It's great to be here. 
Can you give our audience a little bit of background where you started, where you grew up, all of the above? Totally. So I grew up in Missoula, Montana. Um, I started photography at a pretty young age. Um, And interestingly enough, I did a lot of illustrating and painting beforehand. I got hired to do some illustrations and murals professionally before I ever picked up a camera, which was funny because I was like not very old. Um, And then I had a friend in high school who was like, hey, uh, can you take my senior photos? You do art. And I was like, "Um, I guess I don't have a camera. Um, So I think I borrowed one for that shoot or maybe I like bought one early on uh, because I was like, you know, I'll take this hiking with me. Like I wanted one anyway. Um, And then I loved it. I it was really fun shooting those portraits and I kept shooting portraits of friends and I started to get all these requests. And so about a year later, I was like, wow, this is taking up a lot of my time. I should probably charge people a little bit of money, which, you know, was like no money. But I was young, so it was pretty sweet. Um, And I kept doing that for the next five years, primarily portraits and weddings. And then I was kind of like, you know, uh, this has been fun, but I don't necessarily see myself continuing in the portraits and weddings forever. Um, and I wanted a little bit of a break. So I moved to Big Sky during the winters. I shot and did a variety of like photo adjacent things during the summers. And then I met my boyfriend working at a ski shop, followed him down to Jackson area. We lived in the Teton Valley side. And I went back into photo full time with a commercial and editorial focus. And then about Two years living there, uh, we started working on Nexus. Wow. Okay. So this is all, it seems relatively recent, but you said you were in high school, right? When you started taking photos? Yeah. So I've been in the industry. So I've been taking photos for 13 years, getting paid to take them for like 12. Wow. That's awesome. And how old were you when you were like getting paid to... 16 year olds and stuff like that. oh no uh oh god I think the first time I ever made money off of art I was 14 wow and then I think the the one mural project that like actually like paid decently well was when I was 15 or 16 that's so cool and it was really fun I yeah. had a great time you're like in high school this is a side passion you're psyched on it did you promote yeah. yourself how did you get that gig just kind of randomly. Um, I just did a lot of art and people were really excited about it. And, you know, I got paid like $400 for this mural, which was like a ton of money when you're 15, 16. And I was so excited. That's so um, rad. And yeah, it was really fun. And I like, I started selling drawings around like before that. Um, Cause people just like kept asking me if they could pay me to do a drawing and it'd be like 30 bucks, you know? Yeah. But like you're in high school, that's like not bad. Totally. I'd be psyched. You know, I was psyched. And so it's kind of funny to think about it, but I think I've technically been working for myself like forever. Mm -hmm. You know, I had some times when I was in Big Sky specifically or during those summers where I worked for other people, but my first jobs were for myself. Mm -hmm. Did you go to school for photography? No, (laughs) I went to school for economics. So you did end up going to college after high school? I did. And I was working as a photographer like the whole time through. Yeah. So... And I liked the economics degree. I don't really use it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it was a good time. Yeah, that's sweet. So you're taking photos, doing wedding photography, which from my understanding, it pays super well, but it's quite the hustle, right? Yeah, so weddings and portraits, like family photos, senior photos, weddings, engagements, and it's the hustle. Um, 
and you're on your feet for a really long time. Yeah. Like, when we would get off of, like, the helicopters and, like, you know, like, even after that long day, um, the day with Velvet Curtain and, like, you know, we're all cold. And we get back and my feet would hurt three or four times as much after a wedding, you wow. know? Yeah. As well, you we, also have to wear fancy shoes probably, right? Yeah. You have to wear fancy <laughs> shoes. Like, my feet were so well-trained to wear high heels during that point in my life. I could walk in them for, like, eight hours and now I'm a wimp. <laughs> I do not have that skill set. I've tried and failed miserably. I remember going to like a fancy dinner invite thing in uh, San Francisco, like oh the most hilly city ever. Yeah. And I had high heels on. And I was like, oh, how the hell do you walk downhill wearing high heels? I just took them off. But I was laughing at myself. I was like, I'm not trained up in this department of wearing fancy clothes. <laughs> right? I know. Now if I do it, I'm like, oh, God, I need trekking poles. <laughs> like, <laughs> this is so hard. Yes, I love that. Reminds me of Patagonia. Yeah. Oh my God, <laughs> heels yeah. and trekking poles. Like, big fan. Shout out to Patagonia. Um, that's epic. And then you meet your man and he lives in Jackson. So we met at a ski shop in Big Sky. Um, I worked, so I didn't shoot at all during the winters when I was in Big Sky. That was part of like me wanting to kind of take a break. So my first year I worked for Big Sky Resort and then I worked for, uh, I worked in the ski shop after that. Um, for the next three years and I met my boyfriend working there. We were coworkers. Um, and we just kind of hit it off. It was great. And then you both decided to move down to Jackson. He got a job and I was just kind of like, okay, I'll make it work. Um, which, you know, as it turns out, it's a really small place. And so you kind of have to like go bigger, go home in Jackson, mm -hmm. um, which worked out fine. Cause here we are. Yeah. That's amazing. Four years later, five. That's and weird. then what, like, how did Nexus even come about? Um, so Nexus came about, like, kind of the early ideas for Nexus were, if I had to, like, trace them back, I did a shoot with Katie, um, where I shot some portraits of her mountain biking. Um, and we spent a lot of that time talking about how we just, like, wish we saw more ski films with women in them, you know? Because, like, a lot of the time, it was, like, one token female skier, or, like, you got that, like, tiny shred segment where it was, like, the producers invited all of us girls out to for like ladies ski day. And then it's like Olympians. And you're like, what? <laughs> you're like, this is the background we get. Um, but so we kind of were like, man, like we wish that this would happen. Um, and I had a similar conversation with Sophie a couple weeks later at our friend's dinner party. And then, no, that was at a fundraiser party. Anyway, it doesn't matter. But um, so then like a couple weeks passed and I was just kind of like, maybe we should just make a ski film. So I texted them in like a group chat, kind of a longer text. And I honestly expected them to be like, no, like that's insane. We're not going to make a ski movie. What is wrong with you? Um, and so I sent them a text and I was like, hey, do you guys want to make a ski movie? I think like I have the skill set to pitch it for sure. Um, I don't know a lot about filmmaking, but... You know, I'd been on a large number of commercial sets where you are working with a whole media team. Like, you are doing the organization. You're handling a lot of the, like, shot lists, director stuff. So I was like, I think we could do it, you know? And Sophie had a ton of experience. She worked on Pretty Faces. She's done editing stuff for TGR Forever. Katie worked at TGR. Um, it felt like we could kind of round out each other's skill sets well, at least for, like, the pitching part. Um, and so we decided 
that we were going to do it. And we committed and started working on a concept, started working on a pitch deck and like moving through those early steps. That's amazing. And you're talking about Sophie Dannison, yes. who lives in Victor, correct? She just moved to Red Lodge. Oh, okay. Amazing. Yeah. That's rad. The Nexus migration. Yeah, totally. And then Katie Lowe, who's an incredible action sports photographer, kind of mm. working into the bike scene and ski scene. Um, that's epic. And so you guys just, you ladies, my apologies, um, <laughs> trying to be better with my use of pronouns. Uh, anyways, you all got together and you brainstormed this idea. You started working on the pitch deck and how long from that moment did it take to actually start pitching the project? Um, longer than we thought it would. So we started working on concept in August of 2020. Um, and I actually called up Cassie Abel, who's uh, I'd worked with a number of times where she's a friend of mine. She's the founder of Wild Ride and was like, hey, is this insane? Because she used to work in PR and is just entrenched in the industry and she was like no that's not insane like I will help support you essentially and helped us with a lot of pitch deck revisions um but it took us we started pitching early December we had our pitch deck wrapped up and finalized like end of November which honestly was a little late Mm -hmm. um for that season but yeah refining concept and putting it into words definitely took a little bit of time Totally. I find it so difficult to, yeah, whittle down a creative like vision that you have and put it on paper to explain it to other people because you need it to be palatable. You need it to be creative and and, like they have to want to work with you. It's so hard to put that into words. Yeah. And like we were we were like nervous too to like reach out to athletes for the first time. Um, hundred percent of our first pick athletes said yes. So that was sick. Well, slam dunk. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah. We, we did not think that was going to happen. And so that gave us like such a strong start. Yeah. So within Nexus, like the common thread is skiing, obviously, but you're telling different stories from a lot of individuals that come to the ski industry with different varied backgrounds. How did you kind of conceptualize those storylines for the athletes involved? Um, I, you know, we, It was an interesting process where kind of at the same time we figured out central themes that we wanted to talk about and or athletes who we'd want to film with and like how, you know, what stories that like we thought that they would align with. And then we went to the athletes and we were like, hey, what do you think about this essentially? Um, So that way, you know, one of the things like the real beauty of being a small team is you can kind of tailor the stories to the way that people want to be seen. Mm -hmm. And that was something we were very intent on doing. So you know, the original concept and what happened at the end were pretty similar, but we definitely had a decent amount of athlete feedback in terms of like, I actually see, you know, our story is slightly closer to this rather than this. Right. But it was kind of a long process of brainstorming of like, you know, what are these central themes? We wanted to like explore kind of the range of experiences women can have. I think one of the things with Nexus was we really wanted it to be largely narrative driven. I think that was you know, we're not the first project of any kind like this, but in terms of gaps that we saw within a lot of the ski media coming out that was female focused, um, these kind of like narrative, like really diving in, getting to know the people, um, there wasn't a lot of that. So we were like, okay, I think this is the direction we want to go in. And we also want to show that like, you know, everyone's a very badass gear. Mm hmm. Yeah. How did you choose these stories? And can you walk us through kind of the athletes that are in the movie and what their story might be? 
Yeah, totally. So um, the first set of people who are our narrators are Jane and Margot. Um, they are 68 and 70 years old, at least they are when we're recording this. Um, and they met each other trekking through Nepal in the 70s or 80s. They've been friends for 40 years. Wow. Um, they live across the street from each other in Moose. Nope, take that back in Kelly. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're best friends. And they're part of this group of older ladies who go out skiing together all the time. They rip. They gave our camera crews a hard time keeping up. No way. <laughs> yeah. And they are the oldest employees at Exum Guides. They predate the current owners. Wow. Yeah. And so they've run the office. And they, in their interviews, they told us about, like, skiing the, te- like, the middle Teton on skinny skis. And, like, just all this crazy stuff. They're awesome. They are very funny. Um, and we, so we finally met them. We had heard all these cool things about them because we all lived locally at the time. Right. Um, and so we got hold of them and we were like, hey, this is what we're doing. Would you guys like to be part of it? This is the role we see you fitting into. And they were like, yeah, we've never done anything like that before, but it seems important. We would love to. Um, and so we got to meet them and we're like, wow, you guys are a blast. So did they have a guide background? Um, no, they have skied with guides for a long time, like because they run the office. But yeah. I don't think either of them have ever guided. But Margot was the first female ski patroller at Jackson Hole Mountain Resort. Amazing. Yeah. What a pioneer. I know. She's like, they are just so cool. Um, that story in and of itself is something that like, I don't know, I guess in my personal life, a lot of my partners at home in Tahoe are 60 and above or like 55 and older. And I think part of the reason I love being with them is like the culture that they've created locally. Like our culture there, I feel like is going ski touring, telling stories around a campfire, sharing a beer at the end of the day and just gathering together in the mountains and celebrating that. And so many of them have spent like a lifetime doing this and their stories and what they can pass on is like so attractive to me. I love the history of skiing and snowboarding. And then it also inspires me to have longevity, which is like this new reoccurring word or theme in my career right now is like longevity is everything to me. Like one of my favorite skiing partners right now, he's about to get a hip replacement. And I'm like, oh, no, <laughs> I can't lose you next season. You're like my favorite partner that I go out with like every single day. Um, but yeah, I can't wait to see that one. I'm like really, really fired up on that. Me too. Well, and also I feel like getting out with like some of these like people who are very like OG in the ski community they're like in their 50s and 60s it's so like joy based for them like they're just like so excited to be out there it's like they're not hucking big cliffs anymore some of them are not not most of them um and I think just like being out there is something where they're fired up and that's just like so positive to be around like it makes me enjoy being out there so much more like they're just in it for the pure joy which i think is something that we miss a lot in our culture through the media that we put out there like i think it's great to have these aspirational athletes that you can look up to and you aspire to to do that but like at the end of the day the reason i think we all do sports like the bottom line maybe not some of us but most of us should be joy and community and building that rather than winning first place or winning best female segment. And I think like another theme is like tapping into that for me right now of like what brings me the most joy when I'm on the mountain, skiing with my mom, like taking her touring, skiing with my dad. Those are the moments and being in Alaska with you guys, like with all these women in the mountains, just like, holy 
moly, this is where the ski industry has come. I hope it becomes a new norm. But those are like these moments that are more joyful than like, I don't know, any powder run, any like run in AK, like those bring me a ton of joy also. But the lasting memories that I'll have with me forever are those, yeah, that joy. Like, I think we need to focus more on that. I agree. And like, it's just... I feel like so much of my experience in the ski industry has been like focused around that because I didn't start, really didn't like get into snowboarding until I was 21. Mm -hmm. Like I just moved to Big Sky and I had done that like a little bit as a kid, but I like was a beginner and was just like, this sounds fun. So, so much of it has been like joy based and so much of the reason that I felt compelled to make something like Nexus was I had this like really good girl squad. Mm -hmm. Like I... Like, we still stay in contact. I hang out with them all the time. Like, we are very close, like, years later. And it was so fun. Like, we were out there. We'd ski, like, 100-day years. Or, yep. And, like, it was just, like, we were all out there to have fun. Like, yeah. my friend Haley and I sent our first cliff together. Yes. <laughs> and, like, you know, it's just, like, you'd be at the top of the Big Sky Tram on a whiteout day. And, like, if you had your friends with you, it was, like, Sure, we, like, might be a little lost and hopefully don't, like, run into some rocks, but, like, we're going to have fun doing it. Yeah. Yeah. So cool. All right. So we have that storyline. Then tell us a little bit more about the other segments. So let's see. I'll probably go in the order that they occur in the movie. Um, so our first segment that you see is Kate and Veronica. Mm -hmm. um, Kate Zila, Veronica Paulson. Um, and the story, like, kind of their central theme was a lot of, you know, strength, time in the air, um, and, like, how if you get to have other women at the top of your game and you get to push each other, then you can really progress. Um, they both won Kings and Queens kind of back-to-back, -back, mm -hmm. and that launched them into, like, a very high level of pro skier. Um, and so and – they, and they were friends, so – it was a cool segment. Um, we were originally going to film with them in Jackson. And then we went up to Revelstoke because the beginning of the year was just no snow. I mean, the whole year was like no snow. But uh, <laughs> we went up to Revelstoke. And we spent a week and a half filming up there with them, which was a blast. Um, and what their segment turned into, so we kind of got hosed still with conditions in Revelstoke. Yeah. We got it at the end. Um, but... A lot of the central themes of their segment turned into like, you know, why do they enjoy skiing? Like being out there day after day until you, you know, strike gold and get a powder day or strike gold and get a good day for sending. Um, and that was a cool thing to explore with these two women who are just top of their game. Yeah. I mean, they're throwing big. Yeah. And so that was really cool. So for reference, Kings and Queens of Corbett's takes place here in Jackson Hole. Mm -hmm. And it's basically like... There's a tiny lip at the top. You don't have to air it, but everyone ends up sending it and going absolutely massive. And um, yeah, that kind of kickstarted both of their careers, right? Yeah, because yeah. you know Veronica threw that big backflip, huge backflip, huge yeah. backflip, made it to the cover of Powder, and Kate had won the first two years of the competition, went huge. Yeah, um, and you know their runs were both insane. Yeah, and I think it got their skiing into the public eye, the press. Um, and I think that that kind of kick-started, like, them getting to be in films because they had been competing for a long time. But Totally. Yeah. It kick-started their careers. I always love 
thinking about like where professional athletes in the adventure aspect of our lives come from, like how did they start their careers? And I don't think any one story is the same or any two stories are the same. In this case, maybe, yeah, kind of a little bit, but like they started with competition, they got a good result. Now they've moved on to filming and taking photos and the world I feel like is your oyster as a pro athlete. Like you can really take it wherever you want. You just have to like maintain that passion and like keep showing up and saying yes and doing your best. But that's like the coolest part of what we do these days. Being an adventure sports athlete, I don't know. I love it. I think it's interesting. No one has the same path. No, like it is, it's really cool. Especially like it's kind of an outsider to see like where, like how different all of your guys' paths are. Mm -hmm. And like the motivations are so different. I feel like the strategies are so different. What was your like big break moment? Um, honestly, back in the day, I like, there wasn't that many women in the spotlight that I had to look up to. Um, you know, I left racing when I was 15. That was a little bit too strict for me. I didn't like the structure of it. I really just wanted to ski with my friends. Um, also like my current coaches at the time started like making rules, like you can't go upside down. You can't ski with the boys. And like, it was just a little overwhelming for a 15 year old. And of course, when you're 15 and someone tells you to do something, you're going to do the opposite. So I was like, okay, yeah, I'm out. Um, but yeah, it was also so expensive, right? Like skiing inherently is expensive. But anyways, I was just skiing in the park one day and I had my same long braid that I always have had. And this guy came up to me and it was Jason Leventhal and he owned Line Skis. He was the founder of Line Skis. And he handed me a business card and he was like, I thought you were a boy, but I saw your braid and I've no, I don't really like see that many women in the park. And he was just like, I'd love to give you a pair of skis. And I was like, oh my gosh, this rules. Like, this is so cool. Um, but at that time, like, you know, Wendy Fisher and Jamie Burge and all of these older um, pioneers of our sport, like, I don't feel like they were getting the love in the media or at least I wasn't as exposed to it. I was still relatively young. Maybe I wasn't looking into it that much, but you know, Christy Leskinen and Sarah Burke were kind of the women that like preceded me in slope style and half pipe competition. And I had their like pictures plastered all over my wall. I was like, this is awesome. Um, so I got that business card, got a free pair of skis. And uh, Jason was like, we're gonna bring you to the US Open in Vail as a slope style contest. And I went there and like learned a 360 when I got there. I would hit rails all the time, but I was like, oh, like other, when I see other women doing these tricks, I was like, I gotta step it up and learn this stuff. Kind of what you're talking about with Kate and Veronica. Um, so that inspired me to learn tricks. And there was like, I don't know, maybe like 10 or 12 of us or like eight of us out there competing. All the local competitions in Tahoe, I would compete against Jamie Anderson. Um, we were like skiing and snowboarding together. They would just pile us into one competition and be like, all right, go girls, because there wasn't that many women doing it. Um, so yeah, that's kind of how I got my start, I guess. It was unexpected and not something that I was like necessarily seeking. That's so cool. It kind of found you. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I feel the same way kind of with photography. Yeah, totally. kind of like finds you sometimes and you're like, okay, I'm here for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, that's so cool. Should I launch into segment number two? Totally. Okay, so segment number two that we have in there is Sasha and Kristen. And so actually these guys, so we, you know, we pitched for two seasons. So it was the, you know, the winter of 2020, 21 and then we wrapped up pitching between like September and December of 2021. Like, cause you don't really pitch in the summer. People aren't deciding their budgets then. And so we were ramping back up to go into 
this next season of pitching it was probably like in August or September and Kristen reached out to us and was like hey I love what you guys are doing I think our stories would be a really good fit and so we chatted with them and we were like yeah this would be phenomenal and like we had not finished fundraising it was kind of a risky move to add another segment to mm-hmm. this mm-hmm. but we were like we have to this is such a cool complex unique story um and it was, you know, we were very lucky to be the people where they were like, we would like you to tell it. Um, and, you know, we took that not lightly. Yeah, that's so cool. Um, so we, they were a story that got added in for the second year of pitching. Um, and so both of these guys, their moms escaped Vietnam um, and moved to the U.S. and kind of found a home in ski towns. Um, and that's where they found community, which was very important to them. Um and then they had their daughters, which are Chris and Sasha, their cousins. Okay. And they both ended up kind of taking that love of skiing from their moms and the like love of community from their moms and becoming pro athletes. And also a lot of the work that they do outside of being pro athletes is like specifically serving their communities. Um, so Sasha works as a meditation coach. Um, so she works with athletes to help them find balance and help them, you know, rekindle their love for their sport, helps with like chronic pain issues. Um, So she works on the level of the individual. Kristen does a lot of work with She Jumps and the Snowpack Scholarship. So getting more women of color into the outdoors, helping their community that way. Um, And it was cool. It was this like very legacy ripple effect story Mm. where we got to like really dive into that. And it was, you know, it's a beautiful story. Yeah. Did you get any meditation coaching from Sasha? No, but I wish. Um, (laughs) Maybe we can do a session at one of the premieres. Oh, that would be so nice. I would love that. She was awesome. Yeah. Um, Yeah, that story, very cool. Um, And it was funny. We had a lot of people who were like, they really should just have their own film, but they wanted to be part of the whole project. So, you know, we kind of had to condense it down, Mm -hmm. um, which was like hard to do. It's a complex story and it's so cool. But I feel like we emerged at a really good spot. Yeah. Very, um, very cool. Yeah. And then our next segment was Lucy Sackbauer, Ingrid Sensbog, Um, And they're both nurses. And we originally had three nurses. Um, and then the scheduling just didn't work out filming season. So we dropped down to two. Um, and so it's funny. We started pitching the film in 2020 when this was extremely relevant to the pandemic. But by the time we were shooting, we were like, you know, that fall going into it, everyone was like, yeah, we're kind of over it. Like, mm-hmm. we don't need to, like, talk about this anymore. So we were like, cool. How do we pivot? Because your guys' story is really cool. Um, and so the focus really ended up being, like, how do you make decisions in the backcountry as an athlete when you also see the worst-case scenario at work? Mm. And, like, how do you balance being a pro athlete and having a full-time job, mm-hmm. you know? And it was cool to get out there. We filmed with them in the Tetons and – the level of camaraderie in that segment was almost unparalleled. Wow. Yeah, it was really cool. And like one of the themes almost with this year was just it was a bad snow year in the lower 48. But with their segment, they had to turn around at the top of Buck. And it almost served really well to be like, yeah, like you have to call it sometimes. Right. Yeah. You know, like it like obviously would have been sick to get that footage, but like it really lent itself to the storyline quite well. Yeah. Yeah. I don't feel like we show that enough sometimes in ski media is like a no is really powerful in the mountains, especially when you're facing, 
you know, various snowpacks and dangerous situations, but having the ability to say no and turn around, like that needs to be shown because that's really admirable. And at the end of the day, we just have to come home safe. Yeah. I'm psyched to see that. Yeah, it's really cool. Um, yeah. And then the last segment, the finale segment, so you in Brooklyn when we're in Alaska, um, our theme of mentorship. And I think, you know, the final cut is, I mean, you, you can just tell you guys are friends. Like it's, it's just such a wonderful segment where we really explore the fact that like you guys are able to push each other on bikes and skis and like, you know, it's kind of this symbiotic mentorship of like, you got to take Brooklyn into the mountains and like, you guys got to get on top of gnarly bike stuff together too. Um, and I mean, that segment is one of my favorites cause we got, we got conditions to line up. The skiing is insane. Um, we focus a little bit on like second chances and like what it means that the ski industry has progressed and like how powerful it is to have people who like are in your corner mm-hmm. like hyping you up at the beginning of the day at the end of the day they're stoked to be at your side um and like you get done and you learn and that's done best in the company of friends and mentors yeah totally that was such a unique opportunity that hasn't necessarily come up in my career so far Brooklyn and I have been friends for a few years now and she is a professional biker and I met her through biking. Like I just reached out one day and was like, yo, you're in Tahoe, let's go for a bike ride. But she has been such a amazing person for me and biking. Like I really like, I trust her. If she tells me I can do something, I'm like, I can do it. And oftentimes she tells me I can do something when I don't believe that I can do it. And then it makes me believe in myself. But that was so fun to get the opportunity to take her into the mountains. And like Brooklyn has only been skiing for six years. And here we are in Alaska. And I'm like, okay, how's this going to go? Like she really pitched that as the location. She had been there with the approach film the year before and then was like, I want to go to Alaska. And we're like, okay, we're going to Alaska. But no one really batted an eye, right? Like she pitched this idea and we're all like, okay, that sounds great. That's where we're going. Yeah. Well, and we were like, do you have a backup plan in case we like can't make that happen? And she was like, no, I don't think we need a backup plan. And we were kind of like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> just with the confidence. Yeah. Brookie yeah. was dropping into some amazing stuff. She does just kind of embody like full confidence in herself, I feel like, with any sort of athletic pursuit. She does. I mean, she shows up and she's like – she knows that when she's on top of something, she's going to do it. I mean, like, her second run on Velvet Curtain, like, kind of embodied that. Yeah. Like, we were standing at the top of that ridgeline. You know, we had, like, two media crews filming that. And it was, like, me, Austin, and Susie, and then Katie and Sophie were on the other ridgeline. And as we're all getting set up, because, you know, it takes a while, Austin's like, what would your line down here be? And I'm like, I don't even know if I could choose. Like, <laughs> I'm terrified of all of them. Yeah. Like... I'm like, I think I know what it would be because there's like, you know, like a big powder shoot. I'm like, I'd probably ski that. But, you know, you guys dropping in on like the biggest part of that face was like, you know, the whole time it was like jaws on the floor. Yeah. And it was like, Brooklyn's only been skiing for six years. That's insane. So wild. Yeah. I was standing on the ridge line when we landed. We're kind of teasing this uh, line called Velvet Curtain and it's in Girdwood, Alaska. And, and 
what happens in, in Alaska is sometimes the faces look totally different than before. Like we kept going back to a different area and like the cracks at the bottom were too big to ski. It made it like pretty much too dangerous to drop into the majority of the lines. But Velvet Curtain, when we, when we flew by that, we were like, oh, it's in perfect condition. And I've never seen snow form like that like in my life, it looked like corduroy for ants. Like it was just this massive face of corduroy spines. And I remember standing on the ridge line and we kind of had this side view and <laughs> my legs were shaking. Like I was looking at it, I was like, oh my goodness, this is real. And sometimes it hits you different. Some days you're like full of confidence and other days you're like, oh, we're about to get into it. Um, but yeah, my leg's shaking and I'm like, okay, now I have to mentor Brooklyn and tell her about her line and how I would ski it. And I'm just in full fear, like looking at it. Um, it's interesting though, when you look at lines from different perspectives, cause then we flew around and looking at it from the front view, I was like, oh, this goes all day. Like, and my confidence was boosted and I was just like, okay, it's on, it's fully on. We're safe. We're good. Um, but that was such a cool day. Just watching her kind of drop in and then she took a tumble and then like gather herself and her gear and go back up and drop in again and face her fears immediately. It was really cool. It was really cool. And like, I mean, yeah, that well, and the guides, right. They said that velvet curtain hadn't been ready to go in like 10 years. No yeah. one had skied that face in a really long time. And Girdwood just had a really good season and it lined up and the conditions lined up. We were there during like peak window and that made that, you know, doubly as cool. It was like, wow, like this is, no one's keep this in a while and you guys are just going to go get it. Yeah, so special. So how, like, I always think about this too, like how is it for you watching your friends drop in, shooting photos of them? Are you nervous? Are you psyched? Like what? Are, what's your emotional status? I'm usually pretty psyched. Yeah. I feel like, well, especially in those scenarios, like when you're out with like a big crew, you know the athletes are like insanely talented um, you're just psyched. Like, you're like, oh my God, this is going to be so cool. And you've got, you know, six sets of eyes on people. Obviously it's dangerous out there. So that's always a little nerve wracking, but, um, you do know that like there's cameras running, like, you know, as far as situations to be on those lines, that's a huge positive, you know? Yeah. It's like the safest way to ski a big line, really. There's one person dropping in. There's a helicopter for a rescue. There's like, as you said, six people are watching. There's usually a guide up top that if anything were to go wrong, they're on top of you right away. Um, I think that's really this interesting thing. Like you see all this like risk taking and these huge lines being skied, but the background of it, like I think that's important to put into context that like we're actually doing this in like a really safe way. Yeah, so it makes it something where you're like, okay, you're just stoked. I mean, and sometimes the adrenaline, like if you get dropped as a filmer on something where they're like, yeah, don't move. Like, <laughs> don't if take you need to step. pee, pee in place. <laughs> Because that happened when you guys were on Shelly's wall where we like went on this cornice and they dropped me and one other one other Cindy and they were just like, yeah, so like, don't move. <laughs> like really, like, don't move. I remember that. Because I like, I wanted this spot and so we like flew around to check it out, make sure it was good and they were like, yeah, it's good, but like, it's good for like three feet. So yeah. we got dropped and we like stayed in one place, which is like, so like when that's happening, your adrenaline is already kind of high because mm -hmm. like you're watching people like put their tripods in the snow. You're like, wow, we're like in it. 
And then you get to watch people see these sweet lines. You get to shoot some of the best photos of your career. And it's just like, you're stoked. Yeah. 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 Do you have, like, have you shot a ton of skiing before this project? Um, some. Mm-hmm. Some. Uh, I'd shot it quite a bit since I moved down here. Mm-hmm. Um, I got to shoot natural selection one year. That was really cool. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And so... And I had gone out quite a bit, like, in the backcountry with friends or on resort with friends. Um, had shot with some athletes, but not as much as, you know, a lot of my colleagues on these projects. Like, um, there was still a lot of learning, you know? Yeah. I knew, like, what looked good. Yeah. And I think after shooting for so long, whether or not it's action sports, you know how to get it. Yeah. Like, you can visualize where you need to be, like, what lens you need to have, but a lot of that like reflex isn't quite as sharp as it would be with other things. Mm-hmm. Um, but fortunately, like, you know, at the very least, a lot of what I was doing was kind of like directing people and, you know, picking out what we were doing. Mm-hmm. So that I was good at. You were really good at it. Like, I guess this is exciting for me too, to understand the background of Nexus. Cause from my perspective, like basically I was sent the pitch deck and y'all reached out to me and I read it and I was like, okay, the pitch deck looks really good, but who are these individuals behind this project? And I was like, okay, Shannon, never met her, know nothing about her. Katie, I know her, she's a photographer, primarily know her from biking. And then um, Sophie, like I had never met her. I had heard a ton about her though and knew that there was like a varied group of individuals with skill sets that could totally see this through, but no one had necessarily had the full background or made a movie themselves. Is that right? That is totally correct. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, like we, I think like we like rounded each other out at the beginning, you know, yeah. like that's kind of what we pitched. Cause we were like, yeah, we don't have proof of concept. Like, right. Sure. Yeah. We've never made a film, but like, we all kind of round out to be like one producer. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, that was like a cool and interesting process to like go out and pitch a film, a feature, as like one, this was the first film I had made ever. Totally. Um, and go just like ask for a bunch of money. Because mm-hmm. like we were like, we want it to be good. We want to get a budget. We want to pay people fairly. Like, you know, these things are important to us. So we knew we had to like set out and like really convince people we could do it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What a beautiful thing. Yeah. But we all was... believed in each other and like lifted each other up. And I know I was the last shoot on the entire project, but seeing y'all in the field doing work, I was like, oh, they're dialed. They've got this like all day. They've got the angles. They've got the lenses. They're professional. You were like guiding everyone in such a beautiful way. It was really fun to see you like in action. I was inspired. I was like, Shannon's dialed. She knows her shit. <laughs> Thank you. I... I, lo- I loved Alaska. Yeah. That was the best trip of my whole life. Oh, that's so It was sick. so fun. I, making a ski film is, like, hard. Uh, and, you know, which is funny to say, because, like, at the beginning, I'm like, how hard can it be? In kind of, like, an Elle Woods joking way. Because mm-hmm. I knew it was going to be hard. Yeah. Um, And being in Alaska was kind of the first time when I was, like, all right, everything led to this moment, like, conditions aligned we'd been battling conditions all year like we had fun crews we had like we managed to pull some insanely talented cines like every segment with athletes was really fun but like we had conditions aligned and it was just like I was like oh this is why we're here Mm -hmm. which like honestly does not happen as often as one might think like you go to Alaska and you're gambling you're throwing down 
a lot of money for the helicopters. You're picking your dates in advance because you can't just have your choice. Like sometimes it works out, but yeah, you're planning in advance. And we really had what? I think it was like four days. We had four days and then two after hours days. And then we like finessed that third after hour day in... uh, yeah, we were yeah, but, in a uh, different location, but that's yeah. a gamble. That's like we lucked out. When the stars align, you're like, oh, this is why we come back. Right, and we knew it was a gamble, and we had kind of like had like a rough deal with the second heli up like the weeks after because we were like, ooh, four days, it's not a lot. Mm-hmm. And honestly, it was really cool that like CPG and a lot of people in Girdwood were like super supportive of the project because like, it allowed us to take that gamble and be able to like be like okay like these guys have our back like you know they're willing to work with us they like really support the project Mm -hmm. because i mean yeah you can throw down a lot of money on helicopters totally and that's what it takes to like talking about the trials and tribulations of making a film like it takes people believing in you and also seeing that there's a need for this type of storytelling, for this type of production crew. Like that was the first time in my 20 year career that I was out in the field with primarily all women. And that is so empowering. I think it makes everyone level up and it makes, I don't, it just filled my heart with so much warmth. I was like, oh, people can see that this is a possibility in their lives. Like that is so cool. It was so cool. I yeah. had, yeah, I mean, it was just like, it was really cool to have that many people who are very talented in one place who all had this like intense camaraderie of like, this needs to happen. We want to make it happen. We're all here to make a difference, mm-hmm. you know, and like see that supported by, you know, various other parties. Yeah. Because like we couldn't have made it happen without yeah. that. CPG fully had our backs. They were like, yep, we want to see this. We want to make make it happen and see it through. Yeah. It was and, really like, special to feel that. Yeah, and then the Alpinair folks who I called up with, like, no notice and was like, hey, like, can you fly us to a glacier? And they were like, we would love to. <laughs> like, we can make this work for you guys. Like, yeah. you know, how can we make this work, like, out best for everyone? And it was just cool to see that kind of stuff where you're like, hey, sorry to give you, you know, four days notice. Mm-hmm. Uh, you want to, like, get us flown to a glacier? Mm-hmm. And people are like, yeah, we're stoked for you. Yeah. Like, I don't think that normally happens. I don't think so either. But that's like also like my hat's off to you because you were organizing that. You were seeing it through. You were like, I don't know, you were doing it all. And that I don't I I just hadn't really seen that in the field that much. Someone that was like so forward thinking and planning ahead and dialed on the production production side. Like that was really cool to witness. I was like, this is how you get it done. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of spreadsheets (laughs) and a lot of phone calls. Not my strong suit. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I'm like. You know, I feel like it was cool with Nexus because, like, it really hammered in for me that, like, just ask. Yeah. You know, like, people can say no. Totally. Like, and I would never take it personally. Mm-hmm. But, like, if you don't ask, you're not going to get it. Yep. And it was kind of, like, similar things. Like, we would call people and be like, is there any way we can make this happen? It's not a big deal if you can't do it. Totally. You know? I think that is such the kicker because I feel like if people always ask like, what kind of advice would you give your younger self or a younger woman coming into this field of work? And I'm like, take initiative, like own some of that. Cause I feel like traditionally women aren't necessarily gonna be the ones to speak up or oversell themselves or ask. And you know, you're not gonna like, no one's gonna hear your voice if you don't use it. So like speak up and, and, and take initiative, that's powerful. 
I know it's so powerful and also like I think in a lot of senses like like you know that it's like culturally ingrained that if you're as a woman you kind of like shy away from leadership and it was cool and like you know to be fully honest I don't that hasn't been like I've been pretty comfy in leadership roles for a long time um but it was cool on the whole to like see people who or like see this evolution where I think a lot of us in the beginning were a little bit nervous to step into these roles and like be making big decisions. Like for me throughout this entire process has been making big, big impactful decisions all the time that I don't necessarily have as much information as I would like to on, mm-hmm. you know, like I don't have as much context as I want to make these decisions, but it's like, you call people up if you need advice or otherwise you like trust your gut and you make the call because like no one else is going to make it for you. Yeah. And I think like seeing both myself and like other members of the team step into those roles and just be like, yep, we just got to do it. Really cool. So cool. Can you talk about some of the other like difficulties aside from weather and all of this kind of stuff that you faced like throughout the process of this film? Yeah. Oh man. Um, it's like, how do you pick and choose? Right? <laughs> Were there a lot? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, producing and making a feature film, especially with it being your first project, is, um, it's been a steep learning curve. Of It's been two years of steep learning curve. It, like, has not really flattened. Yeah. Like, I learned something, and then there's, like, a whole different part of production that I have to jump into and, like, be like, okay, cool, we're going to learn this now. Yeah. Um, and I think the one part that's gotten easier has been, like, you develop the relationships where you can call people and be like, hey, I don't know what I'm doing. Can you help? Like, just provide context. Like, what should I be factoring in when I make these calls? Mm-hmm. Um, but I think some of the hard stuff, like fundraising was hard. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, but like, you know, it, it was hard, I think, also, like, largely because, like, we didn't have a ton of experience. Right. You know, like, we so had to convince people yeah. that we could do this. And that was hard to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so fundraising was difficult. I think production overall, there's just a lot of moving parts. Yeah. And I think coming to terms with like the fact that you are just going to be like putting out fires and like keeping a level head. Cause like once you put one out, there's probably another one. Like our flights to Alaska, we're in the Pacific Northwest and we are at this Airbnb that like the Wi-Fi was down and there's no service. I remember that. One bar. And so I get like with our one bar of service, I get this text. It's like 11 p.m. And it's like all of your flights are canceled for tomorrow. We put you on this like other flight. And I was like, oh, I should double check because I bet we're on standby. Like I don't want to be in an airport forever. And I couldn't load anything. So I had to like get in our truck and like drive to the nearest town like 20 minutes away and just kind of like sit there on my phone like figuring it out Mm -hmm. and I feel like that's just such a good example for like there's a ton of stuff like that all the time um and it was just fires like you just had to be like okay cool we're gonna go do it we're gonna deal with it we're gonna figure it out like no matter what at the end of the day we're gonna try our best and like totally it's we're gonna show up to the best we can and everything after that is like it's going to be dealt with. I'm like, <laughs> that's like half the battle of being a producer is like, you're just fixing problems and something yeah. arises and you got to fix it. Yeah. And in like the best way possible. Yeah. Half the time you don't have time to panic. Totally. Like I remember we like had a missing P 
piece of luggage at one point and we get in, we had like 18, 20 checked bags, you know, we we're like checking them all. Can we talk about what that piece was? Mm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is a story. Okay. Sorry, John. Um, so we were transporting this piece of gear that was very expensive called a GSS. It's like a, it's a gimbal, which is like a stabilizer. How expensive? Like, okay, at the time I had been told like $100,000 for all of it. And then like later I get back and I asked the city who owns this piece of gear. I was like, I told him the story because, you know, like we, when we got into the airport, we were like, we're missing a bag. And I was like, okay, I'm gonna go figure this out. And I was like, if we don't get it back in four hours, we're gonna call John and be like, hey, this is what happened. But like, we're not gonna freak him out if we can get this back in the next four hours. Because it's just like an airline thing. It's probably fine. It's probably just sitting in Seattle. Yeah. Um, and so, but so like at the time I was like, okay, like this whole rig, which was like 14 or 15 Pelican cases big was like, I was like, it's worth like a hundred grand, which like is a lot of money for sure. And so I get back and I'm like, yeah, how much was like this thing actually worth? And he was like, oh, it's like 750. <laughs> like thousand and I was like oh no and he's like yeah which box do you use and I told him and he was like oh and I was like was that an expensive one he was like that was literally the one you couldn't lose oh and I gosh. was like oof we got it back really quickly I like sat down on the floor and like went through to figure out like which tag belonged to the missing bag because they were all like stapled together because we had so many bag tags right I like went in chatted with the lady like had her make phone calls and then, like, we drove around to, like, go to Costco, and I got a call back within, like, an hour where they were like, hey, we found it. It's in Seattle. We'll get it to you ASAP. And I was like, sweet. Uh, great. And, you know, it all got solved. It was all fine. But that was uh, – everyone else who flew in was, like, about to cry. And I was like, uh, if I, like, start feeling like that, we're not going to get this solved. Yeah. We're just going to like push through. I'm just like, it's going to, it's fine. It's probably in Seattle. We're going to make it work. It's good. It's good. <laughs> I remember like, cause I flew in that same day and hearing like, oh yeah, we lost the GSS or whatever. And I, I knew in my head, I was like, that thing's like close to a mill. It's like a mill. And it's missing. Yeah. That is stressful. It's stressful. And like, you know, at the very least, like, I had to get some pretty baller insurance for this film. So yeah. I was like, okay, worst case scenario, I have to file a claim with the insurance. And it's like, I'm insured for $2 million, but they're not going to be thrilled. Totally. So we get the bag back and we're off and rolling. But that was like a wild moment for sure. That whole day was really wild because like we woke up really early. We had all these bags. We had to get them, like shuttle them into the airport. Also, when you have that many checked bags, like you can't leave bags unattended which was funny because, like, I get into the Seattle airport the first time and it's me with, like, two baggage carts, like, you know, like, arms, like, full spread, just, like, trying to waddle through. <laughs> I was like, oh, God, this is so stressful. So we go back and, like, we had three of us, like, shuttling bags in. We had to, like, present media passes to even, like, be allowed to check that many. Took Sophie and I, like, an hour plus to get all the bags through. And then, like, and, you know, we had to, like, return the rental car, all this stuff. Like, logistics heavy, um, and then, you know, we get to Anchorage. We're really excited. That happens. We have to deal with that. We, like, go get lunch. 
And then we kind of split up into two crews because Katie got you. And Sophie and I went to like run some errands. And then we get this call where they're like, we're like, oh, there's a heli debriefing in 45 minutes. And we're like 35 minutes out of Guardwood. <laughs> and we were like, oh, okay, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it was really fun. Welcome to making ski movies. <laughs> yeah, it was like, okay. And I think at that point, it was like the last segment. So we were just kind of like, oh, cool. Well, at least we can make it. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. What kind of other things were you all up against, like, aside from funding and all of this kind of stuff? Did you feel like, I mean, you're moving into this space that's traditionally, like, very male-dominated. Can you talk about that at all? Yeah. So I would say it was a mixed bag. But there were definitely moments where I was like, this would have gone pretty differently if I was a dude. Mm. You know, like where you get like talked down to pretty severely, even if you were really organized. Mm -hmm. um, and I think like I I was usually pretty like chill with that because I've experienced it before. I mean, especially like working in a ski shop as like a new skier. Right. A lot of like photo film stuff. I've been in leadership roles. So like. You see it intermittently, but not as much. Yeah. But, like, we would run into that where people were just kind of like, oh, like, you're just a group of girls. Like, you don't know what you're doing. Yeah. Who are you to be here making a ski film? Yeah. Or, like, who are you here to, like, negotiate or, like, do anything like that? Um, so we definitely ran into some of that stuff. Mm -hmm. And, like, definitely were a couple moments where I, like, didn't have enough sleep and, like, that really got to me. Yeah. Um. But I think a lot of the time, like, we did get a lot of support, so it was really a mixed bag. But you could tell at certain moments that it was a very male-dominated space. Yeah. And there are moments where, like, we would go back and I would be like, I should have had, like, one of our male colleagues go and take that meeting for me. But, like, at the same time, no, because this needs to become the new norm and you're doing it. And so people are going to have to adjust and get used to that and, like, reframe their mindset to be opening and welcoming to this situation. Totally. Like, I remember being there that day and being, first of all, my mind was blown that that had even occurred. Um, I feel like I have like a giant privilege of having been in this space for so long. So people like have a tendency to trust me. Like I certainly get that a lot though. But at the same time, I remember in that situation being like, oh my gosh, I wish I was in there with Shannon like holding the space and making it like a productive conversation rather than what happened. But that's so frustrating and mind blowing, but it still happens. It happens all the time. Yeah, it does. And I mean, like, it was funny, you picked up on it so fast. Like, so I had, you know, had a very difficult meeting where I, you know, kind of gotten talked down to and then we got back in the car and you immediately like looked at me and you were like, are you okay? And I was like, yeah, I just kind of need to process for a minute. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but like, yeah, definitely there are times where you're just like in it and then it like hits you and you like are like, oh, wow, I'm like not emotionally prepared to deal with like some of the ways that like people will treat you time to time. And if you're in like not a great headspace walking into that, it can like end up not great. Yeah, yeah, totally. Mm -hmm. I think like I've been through so many of those situations too. Yeah, yeah I just felt the energy you got into the car and I was like, oh, okay, like something happened. <laughs> Shannon's backing out of uh, out of some deals. Yeah, which was okay. Which was okay. I yeah. think it turned out great. Um, we had more more money for post. Yeah, but I just want to reiterate, like, I'm so proud of you for stepping into those positions and taking that on. Like, 
Yeah. And not calling the male colleague or the male friend to like take those meetings. Like you did it. You learned from that. We all learned from that. And it like, we had to do that. That was kind of what this movie was all about to me too. It's like, we're breaking ground. We're not, and, and yeah, earlier in the conversation, you were like, there's been movies like this, but is it true that this is the first like female led film where like pretty much 95% of the cinematographers are women. The photographers are women. The athletes are women. Like that in my mind really hasn't happened in this space, but am I wrong there? I think there's been other films that would fall into that category. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's like certain special elements of Nexus that are rare. I mean, like I would, I hesitate to say the word the first of all of those things because there's definitely been like female led projects, but I think, you know, something like it was feature length. Mm-hmm. All of the directors and producers were female. Most of the cinematographers were female. Um, and, you know, we set out for it to be a, like, decently high production value film, you know? And we knew we had to raise money. Like, we couldn't self-fund. Yeah. We're freelancers. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, you can't do that. Um, and I think that combo is rare at best to see within the space. Yeah. Because, like, it is hard to, like, talk people into the fact that, like, yeah, this is, like, something people want to see. Like, at the very beginning, we would definitely get people who were like, yeah, like, I've seen, like, some all-female films. Like, why do you think that this is different? Do you think people will actually be interested in this? Like, it seems like this is kind of, like, an old battle. Mm-hmm. Um, which is funny because, like, it kind of brings it back. Like, the ski industry as a whole is very, very male-dominated in a way that other industries are not. And, like... Were those men that were saying that to you? Yeah. Always, always men. Interesting. Most of the people who (laughs) signed on to the project were either women or men with young daughters. Mm Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, I don't think I ever heard that from women, so. Yeah. So here we are, a group of women coming to these brands, pitching a project that we want to see and being told from men that it's been done. I think this is over. Like, this subject has passed. Yeah. It's like clearly it hasn't. We're the ones being like, no, we really want this to happen. It's like, please, we would love to have our moment. Yeah. Um, But yeah, no, I mean, but also I feel like coming from outside of the ski industry, like I didn't start my career there um, and I still work like outside of it and in it now. Like, I feel like my default mode is to assume that like I won't deal with that, especially being in like, like if I walk into a room that like that's probably not what I'm going to see. And for certain situations, I feel like the reason I didn't, like, call a male colleague or call someone who, like, might have not gotten the same pushback was because I was just, like, why would I get that pushback? Yeah. Yeah. Like, which is fair to assume, but also not the reality. Yeah. And I think, like, had I been a little bit more savvy to it, like, maybe I would have called in other people as opposed to just, like, walking in full confidence. But it worked out. I'm so proud that you didn't make that phone call, though. Yeah. Like walking in full confidence and learning from that and moving forward, like that's been such a thing. I don't know, reflecting on my career, I don't think I realized when it was happening all the time when I was younger because I wasn't as conscious or aware of the inequalities or the way that women were being treated in our industry. And now looking back, it's interesting to reflect and be like, oh, this is why I am the way that I am right now. Like this all makes sense. I had to live through all of these 
microaggressions or people telling me that I couldn't do something or getting dropped or whatever it may have been and overcome those challenges. But it wasn't necessarily in the moment. Sometimes I just didn't realize that that was the inequalities. I just accepted it as this is the way it is. And I think it takes like experience and knowing and, and like really educating yourself and seeing things through a different lens to understand all of that. Yeah. Well, and also like, I feel like this reminds me of Sasha had a really good quote that I think made the final cut or at least made like the third round of edits where she was like, if I spend too long to dwell on the fact that I didn't see enough people like me in this industry, I probably wouldn't have gone as far because it would have gotten me down. Totally. And I think that like, I don't know how much you resonate with it, but I definitely do. Where I'm like, if I spent too long being like, oh, like this is tough like we're just we're not in like welcome in this space as much as we should be I don't know if I would have had the same pushback as or like I don't know if I would have pushed back as much as just being like no we belong here like we're gonna make it happen it's fine yeah like can't dwell yeah props I had this really beautiful moment when um I think y'all sent out the project pitch deck and I was like, okay, like this is on my this is on my computer. I'm staring at it. I love it. I look I'm looking at it. I love the storyline. But again, like who are these people making it? And time in the winter is so minimal that it's precious, right? Like time matters. And I'm like, okay, can I dedicate like basically you were asking for one shoot in Alaska with Brooklyn. Um, can I dedicate that kind of time? What does this look like? And I actually called had a conversation with Corinne, who owns Skeeta. And she was like, okay, but if we all believe in this and we all get behind this and make this happen, like, this is really cool. And I was like, oh yeah, light bulb moment. Like, if we all do this and we get on board, like, this thing's gonna be amazing. So let's like believe, like full, go all in and believe. And that was like such a special, like, yeah, light bulb moment for me of like, we can do this together. We're stronger together. If we believe in each other, like, and lift each other up, this is gonna happen. Yeah. and like. Having all of you guys say yes, and then like Corinne came on as a sponsor super early. Uh, same with Cassie Abel, and both of them were just like, "Let us write you intros, let us vouch for you, like we will pull for you." And in the same way that you did, because like I feel like the domino effect for us, like, because you usually just need what, like, what I learned is you need your first big, like brand in the industry to sign on and then people like follow suit the dominoes fall mm -hmm. for us that was red bull mm -hmm. we barely had to pitch them mm -hmm. we like got beers with jake and he was like oh yeah we love michelle we want to support her vision and we were like oh do you like want to see like do you want us to pitch and he was like no <laughs> so cool sophie and i just got done shooting i shot like i was at natural selection that day and she was shooting something else yeah and so we're there, like, you know, ski gear, like, pretty tired, sweaty. Yeah. What did that moment feel like for you? Shock. Yeah. I mean, it was so cool. I was like, no way. I, like, I could feel it where I was like, this is going to change it. Mm -hmm. I was like, this is the win. It's mm -hmm. the one win that we needed. Because, like, once you send it out and you're, like, in calls and they're like, well, who else is supporting this? And you can say Red Bull. People are like, okay, it's gonna happen. Yeah. Cause yeah. like all the pitches before that, people are like, well, like, are you sure you can raise this much money? Like, how are you gonna, you know, do, do distribution? Are you sure people can support it? And, you know, we didn't know. Yeah. We were hoping people would support it, but like 
you know, you had to just be like, yeah, like we think that this is a strong concept, please. So cool. Shouts to Jake for saying yes, yes. and Red Thank Bull you, Jake. for believing. Yeah, that's a rad part of this for sure. Um, all right. So we are so far, the film is finished, correct? Film is finished. I, I have not seen it. I'm really excited to see it. And we're getting ready to premiere it. Would yes. you do this again? Yes. 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 Not like immediately, but yes. <laughs> Maybe even immediately. We'll oh, see. Oh, oh. We'll see. I mean, well, because like it's like a it's a long process, you know, yeah. like I even if I started pitching now, like I wouldn't roll into production until like 2024, probably. Right? right. Like earliest. So it's like the pitching process is like way chiller than production. Totally. It's interesting, too, though, like right now I'm pitching projects for this year and I'm mm -hmm. like, we really need to get this green lit. Like um, sometimes it can take I think that's probably better is to see it like a couple years out. Cause then it gives you time to like make those relationships go. It doesn't like, I think also it, it's hard to like, like, cause people worry more if you're doing a tight timeline with getting enough money. And like, also if you're fundraising at the last minute, you can have some pretty gnarly cash flow issues. Like we finished fundraising, like we had the last $100,000 roll in in a week at the end of December. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. And then we were like, oh, <laughs> we can like really start booking stuff now and like hiring people and making it happen, which was great. But like, you know, a lot of people pay N30, N60. So yeah. we're writing invoices towards like the end of N30 and telling people like, we will get you paid as soon as we can. And and then the cash hits and you're like good about it. But you Wait, know, what's in 30 and 60? Uh, net 30, net 60. So you send an invoice to a company and they process it, but the payment doesn't hit your account for 30 to 60 days, yeah. sometimes 90. Yeah. So you're just running up your credit card bill. Yeah. I was lucky I had some like good credit limits. Yeah. Thank you, American <laughs> Express. <laughs> yeah. But like, you know, I think that's something where like if you have a longer timeline, it's more likely that you wouldn't run into like severe cash flow issues and like some degree you always got to be prepared for that but I think I mean I think pitching projects same year probably like would be a thing at some point for me but I think I could it's not a pitch a project on. and roll into production this year yeah during premieres too I always think of like premiere season is like okay you did all this hard work this is the payoff this is when you get to share your project with everyone and it feels so gratifying you're excited for the premieres yes I think like we have a little bit more until I will feel like I've crossed the finish line because there's some there's a lot of organizing that needs to go on. There's a lot of like marketing PR stuff that I kind of have to oversee. Mm -hmm. um, and so once the majority of I think the logistics end behind premieres is like set in stone. Yeah. Then I I feel like I can like settle into, you know, scheduling interviews and whatnot and yeah. not have it feel like a lot. But I'm very excited for premieres. Actually, interestingly enough, I haven't seen the final film either. Ooh. So we, the day before we hit picture lock, I gave my final notes. And Sophie called me and was like, look, you can watch the final thing for QC if you want. But if I were you, like, it's just quality control at this point. It's just sound and color. Wait until you see it in theaters. That's exciting. And I was like, okay. So I, like, have a screener <laughs> link that I send to festivals, right? So, like, I yeah. could watch it at any time. But I've just been like... Nope. I'll see you later. Oh, that's special. Yeah. So I'm really excited. Yeah, that rules. 
Um, okay, that's amazing. I'm super excited about that. And so it'll be touring starting in October? Yes. Right. Do you have any dates or locations? Yes. So our first premiere is going to be October 5th. It's in Golden, Colorado. Um, and then we have... It's going to be more than this because I've been fielding a lot of requests, like multiple every day for showings. Oh um, but I think right now we have 26 stops and festivals lined up okay. through between now and like February. Where can people find that information? Um, it will be slowly going up on our websites as soon as thing our, our website as soon as things are hard confirmed. Mm -hmm. um, so we'll be in pretty much all of the Arcteryx Film Festival stops, which is really cool. Uh, the way that those work is. The regional managers who are putting them on pick their top three films, mm -hmm. um, and we made it into apparently all of them. Awesome. Which is cool. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <gasps> it's really exciting. So we'll be in all of those, and then we'll have some of our own stops that we're doing as well as a presence in some festivals. We were very lucky. Uh, we had a lot of festivals reach out to us to submit, mm. which was delightful because uh, I was like, I don't know what I'm doing totally. with this. Totally. That's perfect. Yep. Um. So I'm really excited. I'm kind of deciding, like, where I'm going to go. Yeah. Like, which ones do I want to go to? Like, you know, what dates can I be out of town? That kind of stuff. But I'm I'm really excited. Sophie describes having a film premiere as, like, it's magic that, like, there's this buzz in the room that comes alive. Like, mm -hmm. we had this whole conversation while driving back from Revelstoke, which is a 14-hour drive. Um, we listened to the entirety of Matthew McConaughey's book on tape during this. <laughs> Great. Recommend. Highly recommended. Um, but we also had a conversation about like premieres and, you know, what the what the finish line is going to look like. And she was like, it's magical. It makes you want to go straight back and do it again. Wow. So I'm excited. That rules. Well, hit me up if you want to do it again, because I would love to be a part of it. I know. Be, <laughs> I... I feel like there was there was a couple moments where I was like, okay, I could do it again, yeah. you know, because there's moments where it's like so overwhelming that you're like, oh my god, I'm never gonna do it again. Totally. But it was like standing on top of some ridge lines, giving feedback. I was like sitting in my office chair, I have like multiple monitors, and I'm watching these rough cuts. But I have like gaps in them. Mm -hmm. I'm like taking notes, and I'm just like, this is so cool. Mm -hmm. Building out the story, seeing it through the whole process. Yeah. Yeah, I'm like giving feedback and knowing that like your opinion has weight to it yeah that's cool okay so what's the website um nexusfilm.com there's no e in it so it's nxus film nexusfilm.com get the tour dates come yes. join us come join us our digital release is slated for november 9th it's going to go out on arcteryx channels they have a film page as well as youtube so check that out that'll be really exciting awesome um, I have a couple questions that I've been asking all of my guests on the show, and uh, I feel like we covered the bases with Nexus pretty well. Thank you for sharing all of that. But I'm curious, what is the wildest day of your life? It can be in the mountains. It doesn't have to be in the mountains. Wildest day of your life. Keep stumping people. I guess hmm. this is a hard question. <laughs> it's a hard question because I feel like I've had a very eventful time in the last like 10 years mm. can I answer the next one and come back to this totally yeah think about it this one I really like because I feel like we don't celebrate our achievements enough in life and kind of you know 
brag about it or talk about it openly. So uh, what are your personal, what personal achievement are you the most proud of in your life? Um, I, I think the one thing that I'm really proud of is that I know that like when I was younger, when I was like 10, 11, 12, and I, you know, like you always like wonder what you're gonna be in the future. And I know if that version of me saw this, she would be stoked, <laughs> like hyped. Yeah. And I think that like that is probably the thing I'm like the most proud about. But I think overall, like seeing this film through is definitely up there for me. I think also like moving to, we lived on the Teton Valley side when we were here. I'm moving to the small town of like 2000 people and like still somehow making a career. Mm-hmm pretty pretty sick yeah not gonna lie yeah um yeah i mean i think i'm also really like this is like much more of a nebulous concept but i think i'm like very proud of the fact that like i've had a lot of different like almost like eras in my life or like times where i just decide like oh i'm gonna go do this yeah like, I at one point was, like, I'm going to go do, like, a post-grad program in Berlin and, like, travel around it and then just, like, left. Or, like, I was, like, oh, I'm going to apply for jobs to, like, teach and, you know, just randomly went and taught. Um, and or, like, was, like, I'm going to learn how to ski for, you know, when I'm, like, straight up an adult. Yeah. Um, and just, like, went and did it. And I think that that's been something in retrospect I'm like very proud of. Totally. Just like hard commit. We can't lose that. I was just having a conversation recently with someone that was talking about like when you're younger, you don't have that fear of failure. And you're like, yeah, I'm just gonna do it. And then as you get older, there's more consequence, there's more things at stake. And maybe we develop this like slight fear of just like living our dreams and seeing them through. And I don't know, my 10 year old self would be very, very proud of what you've done as well. Thank you on behalf of all the 10 year olds out there. Oh, thank you. I mean, I think your 10 year old self would be stoked on what you're doing. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I think it's, so. It's kind of cool to be in that place. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Well, I'm proud of you. I'm so proud of you for dreaming big and seeing it through. That oh. started just with like conversations with your girlfriends. I think that's like, if we want to be the, like be the change that you want to see. Like if there's a problem, figure out how to fix it. If you're really that passionate about it, like take that initiative. Yeah. No, I agree. All right, craziest day of my life. Sorry, I've been like meandering on this. <laughs> That's okay. There's like several that I could just like choose from. What one pops to mind? Um, there's a couple from when I was living in Big Sky that were just like, they were really fun. Yeah, let's go with the fun. Let's go with the fun. Yeah. Yeah. Or whatever. If you want to go deep with something else, you can too. I feel like the fun ones are kind of where it's at. Let's go. Um, there's, I think my probably one of the crazier days that I had in Big Sky. God, there's several to pick from, but I had this like full saga of a day and I I don't even know how like crazy this is, but it was just like so action packed that it like comes to mind where I'm just like, wow, this was like such an eventful, memorable day in my life. Mm -hmm. Was it was one of the closing days 
and it was really good conditions. It dumped like a foot the night before. I woke up really early, went off the tram, went off like one of the, you know, larger runs that you need to sign out for with your beacon. Got stuck trying to get out of there because it turned into mashed potatoes. Uh, My boyfriend was with me and he had to like, we're wearing flying squirrel costumes and he had to grab my hips and like skate down this cat track because it was so mashed potatoes by like 9.30 a.m. Yeah. Um, And then the entire rest of the day was just like, we met up with like everyone we know. We like went and like skied around completely till close. We like went home, went to a friend's house, went to the bars. Like it was just this like beginning to end, perfect summary of that like era in my life. Mm. And I don't necessarily think that it was like that insane as much as it was just like, this was everything that like four years were for me summed up. Mm-hmm. And that was really cool. Just one of those days. Yeah. And like, I think there's a lot of days that are like, like that over the course of everything. I felt very similarly the last, like, the last day we were out in the heli in Alaska where it was just like, it was perfect. Yeah. Brooklyn, Greece, Shelly's Wall. Yeah. Uh, Susie and I were not allowed to move off of our corners. <laughs> like, it started out where we were like, not even in jackets because it was hot out and then we were all like four puffies deep at the end. Yeah. And like, I think there's just like, I could pick some disastrous days, but I think these like little blips of time where it's like, this was an entire era in one day. Mm. And it's the one day you think of when you think of like a long span of your life. Yeah. Or like of a portion of your life. Those are kind of what I would pick. That's beautiful. That's what we live for. Those super fun days in the mountains filled with all the good things and your friends and your community and the good snow mashed potatoes aside yeah i mean honestly that was fun i just stood there i was like sick yeah should have yeah. gotten hot wax but whatever <laughs> yeah totally okay where can people see your work um shannoncorsi.com is where is my website um my instagram handle is at shannon.corsi that has quite a bit of work on it as well yeah um And then if you want to see the film, you know, stay tuned. Stay tuned. We're excited about that. Yeah. Anything else you'd like to add? I don't think so. Well, thank you so much for your time. It's been an honor to sit down with you and be a part of your vision and believe in each other. And this is a huge celebration. So thank you so much. Thank you. I mean, it's been an honor.